Shoot. <laughs> Bang. Okay. Sorry. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus desertion from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed. And the number of men came to be about 5,000. And it came about on the next day that their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the highest priest, was there, and Theophias, and John, and Alexander, and all were who were of the high high priesthood descended. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power and what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to six men, and as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you. The builders but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were undercuted and under untamed men. They were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to go aside of the council, they began to conserve with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For for the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that, that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to any man in this name. And we, when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Rather, it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God. 
be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which they might punish them. On account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom his, this miracle of healing had been performed. And when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief received and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O oh Lord, is it thou who didst make the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them? Who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our Father, David thy servant, said, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people devise fertile things? The kings of the earth took their stand. And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus, whom thy didst anoint both heroes and pointed. Kindly, kindly along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Do whatever thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant thy, that thy bondservant may speak thy word with all confidence. While thou dost extended thy hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were given witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abounded grace was upon all, upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they will be just distributed to each as any had need. Anyone there? 
I'm still here. Yeah, um, I had my uh, cough button on. Uh, and so what were you thinking about that scripture, or how did you come into that scripture here in the last few days? Well, I thought I wanted to read it because they were talking about Peter and John, and they were not really sure how to explain it, but I thought it was a really good one to read. Well, I'll tell you what I like the most about that whole scripture is is where Peter and John declare their their status before these individuals by saying, um, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge yourself, basically, for we cannot speak the things which we for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing now, but they might punish them because of the people, for all men glorified God for that which was done. Is uh, you know, I think so often about how even our people um we talk to one another we have these general day-to-day conversations on other subjects and so forth and how there's a fear always there's a fear and that fear is never properly placed i should say it's rarely properly placed and we fear because of the way we speak often we fear everything else under the sun because of the way we speak, and that's what I mean. And and where our true allegiance, our true, you know, stand, if you will, against all enemies of Jesus Christ, enemies of God of Jacob Israel, should be in the same manner. You know, you have to judge whether you think it's right or wrong, but I'll tell you, we cannot but speak these things that we know about the God of Jacob Israel. And um, it's just a real, um, one of those reminders, I guess, that, you know, we have power given it to us from the Most High God, Jacob Israel. And we walk around sometimes in fear of everything. Am I making sense, Russell, or anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. You're making sense. Yeah. (laughs) Jeremiah, what do you think of this scripture? Well, uh, I think it's, uh, quite interesting because they, uh, they weren't afraid to talk about, uh, God. Mm-mm. They, uh, just weren't afraid of any punishment that would come and wanted to just speak the truth. Yeah. Amen. You know, and right there in verses 23 and on, um, they went to their own companions, your 
ver version reads, mine says they went to their own company and reported all. And then uh, when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of the servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The king stood up, the rulers stood up, everybody was stood up, gathered against the Lord and against his Christ. And, you know, nothing's new under the sun right now, is it? No. And we see Donald Trump and pictures of Donald Trump goes over to uh, Jerusalem and, you know, they give him the yarmulke and he goes and makes his appearance at the Western Wall. And, uh, you know, that's the that's the can, photo op. Uh, Doug, for, can, you, can you imagine us telling the uh, head mucky muck of Israel to go ahead and put a cross around his neck when he prayed at, at our house? Well, absolutely. You know, that's the that's a great point because you never see that done. Uh, but I certainly wouldn't advocate for it anyway. But <laughs> yeah. But um, it, but I mean, just, turnabout fair play. It does make you wonder what he's going to do when he goes sees the Pope, doesn't it? Sure does. Yeah, I think. Uh, you know, John's choice could be could be not what we thought he'd be. What what was that? John's what? John Friedrich's uh you know, they're the reason he got elected. Oh yeah. Because of that yeah. weekend in Tulsa or wherever Oklahoma City. Yeah. They may be in for some disappointments. But I'm sure the anointed one We'll move on. Let's say he's just completely ignorant and trying to acquiesce, okay, and appease. Well, if he's any man at all, he ought to expect the same when they come his way. You know, I did this for you, now you do this for me. Yeah, you know, I I think of this scripture, and it's very good, actually, true, when you think about it with today's events, because um, now... Didn't he get prayed over by a bunch of Christian ministers before he went over there? And did yeah. they not prayer did they not pray? See, I don't know if he did, but I'm assuming, I'm assuming that prayers over this man have not ceased. And so I asked the question because think about it, was this prayer for boldness that we read in 23 through 30? Was that a prayer? that they said to him, now go over there and tell these Israelites uh, boldly who the God of Jacob Israel is and what he thinks about uh, Esau Edom's uh, plan to disenfranchise the the chosen. And, uh, you know, I mean, that would be boldness, would it not? It would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
By stre- and now, Lord, behold their threatenings, 29, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the Holy Child, Jesus. See, if that prayer could have been prayed over there, and when they had prayed, it said the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. I don't know, just kind of was interesting. I thought maybe a modern analogy or today's events. Yeah. Well, I really personally, uh, not much has changed in my world since the new president moved in. We haven't seen one case heard by the conservative uh, court justice. I mean, we were told John Roberts was the extreme conservative, weren't we? Yeah. And he buckled like a cheap suitcase on Obamacare and any gay marriage, all of it. He okayed it all. So, talk is, people ought to learn by now this talk is cheap. Well, you know what they ought to learn by now, and it it would be good for our people to learn it, is we've talked about this in past fellowships. This Constitution is the undoing, the undoing of of God's people in America, and everything that they rule upon, uh, they rule upon uh, on the basis of this Constitution, and. it's high time that people learn that the Constitution was not as godly a document as they believed. When was it ratified? Well, I guess... 1800? 1789, I guess, would be the the date. It went into effect. It went into effect, 1789. I believe that's the date. I wish we could check on that because uh, I I would like to know when we were all of a sudden the 13 colonies put into the United States of America (laughs) Corporation. I concur, 1789. Okay, now take that year until 1860. And uh, what is that, 71 years? I mean, it didn't take long till we were killing each other, right? Yeah. And uh, he rode roughshod all over that Constitution. Lincoln did. Yeah. And... uh, and now, most people don't even understand we're captured people. 
You're south of the Mason-Dixon line. Well, George Washington said on his final farewell speech, he said, no foreign entanglements. Absolutely. I remember him saying that. Specifically European. Because he said that's all they do is fight each other. For nothing. There's no good. Don't cast your pearls to the swine. Mm-hmm. You know what? You know what got Ezra Pound in trouble with the United States of America? Ezra Pound told the truth, and they threw him in a mental institute. Yeah, that was their favorite thing in that period of time, and it was even that, that was their favorite thing even up into the 80s, uh, and... uh, He spent 12 to 15 years in captivity, and he turned it into... um, Praise God for all things. Yep. Uh, into a advantage. They still do it nowadays. Yeah. And uh, he said that this garbage Roosevelt's doing was wrong, and that got him in big trouble because he was such a, um, I guess, for lack of a better term, a very famous person with. With uh, uh, had a lot of followers, and you can't have somebody with credibility saying stuff like that. You can't and how have, how you can't have a minister. Think about this: you can't have one minister in America come out and say Donald Trump's stance on homosexuality is wrong and anti-God. You, you can't have that. They'll that's, lose their 501c3. That's a small thing when you think about it. That, well, and, that, and you recall Trump actually said that part of his campaign rhetoric was that he appealed to those evangelicals and said, we're going to get that <laughs> that ruling overturned or that provision, gonna... <laughs> that provision that... that makes you unable to to be the church you need to be. <clears throat> I don't remember the words they used, but I think you all know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Basically this <clears throat> this invisible excuse me <clears throat> this invisible line that we have which the churches have drawn for themselves that they can't speak for fear of something and yet there's churches out there all over who speak and uh you know none of those cases ever go to the supreme court where they uh challenge you know i i did a um, solutions broadcast one time and pointed out a number of supreme court decisions that the vast majority of people in america and specifically christians have never known were passed in favor of many um lawsuits that were brought 
uh, by Christian churches who challenge these, quote, so-called rules and statutes. I'd have uh-huh. to... I'd have to pull that stuff out. Uh, usually I kept my notes and stuff on some of this stuff, but I didn't well, count Bobby, any Bobby particular Lobby came against them. And they uh, won. I think Hobby Lobby came against them and won. Yeah, they did, but and that was probably one of the most recent that became a little bit more widely known. But again, it's only on a it's only on a specific provision, you know, but there are some relatively strong constitutional or challenges to various statutes and so forth that have been won. And there's a particular organization, the name escapes me right now, that's done a lot of those litigations and has mm-hmm. been very, very successful, nearly 100%, if I remember right. And, Was that uh, the one with Jay Sekulow? Or uh, is this way older? Uh, as far as a group or an organization, or yeah, Sekolo has come against them on many occasions. I don't, I don't know his track record. His Let's see if Jay Sekolo. Let me just try to <laughs> do a quick search here. All right, and don't worry about your coughing. We'll work right. through it. Everybody's coughing around here. And um, when you get ready, Doug, uh, I want to read you something out of the Septuagint. Shoot. And I'm not trying to change the course. Uh, I just want this. I thought this was very interesting. Okay. Uh, it's in uh, Genesis. Uh, chapter 4, verse, uh, pick it up at 5. All right. But, and this is the Septuagint. But upon Cain and upon his sacrifices, he did not look with regard, that being God. Thereupon Cain was exceedingly grieved, and his countenance became dejected. And the Lord God said to Cain, Why art thou become sorrowful, and why is thy countenance dejected? Thou hast offered right, yet if thou hast not rightly divided, hast thou not sinned? Now God's talking to uh, Cain, and he says, Be composed. Now, to me, that's the same thing as pull yourself together, man. Next sentence. To thee shall be his recourse, and thou shalt rule over him. Now, isn't that quite a bit different than the New American Standards version of that? Well, I'd have to look it up on the NAS unless Jeremiah's got it out there or the NAS. I think mine's the mine's the New American Standard. What is verse that? That was uh, verse four. Gen- Sorry, Genesis four, verse six. Genesis four six. Okay. 
right, Genesis 4, 6. Yep. All right. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master. A familiar scripture, Jeremiah? Uh, yeah. It does sound familiar. We spent all weekend on this. Well, I did too, but I never read it in the Septuagint. Well, I like, now, I like to be, be composed. Let me ask you something. The right. last, The last sentence there. All right, Jeremiah just read that last sentence from the New American Standard. Uh-huh. And, uh, see. <clears throat> <laughs> um, I read this scripture from the Geneva... Uh-huh. I read it from the Septuagint also. And we were having a discussion about this, and I said, you know, from the translations that I've read generally, this last sentence, um, I'm going to pull it up in the um, Amplified. And Jeremiah, of course, read the uh, New American Standard. And... Um, just give me a few minutes here. I'm going to use Gateway here to get me uh, several translations up. Aren't and those two by the same outfit? What's that? I say, uh, isn't the Amplified and the New American Standard put out by the same people? It, it could it could be. Um, I do find that the Amplified on a number of occasions helps with some some better understanding but like everything you have to be careful and um, the Amplified says and the Lord said to Cain why are you so angry and why do you look annoyed there's a footnote here footnote 7 and I'll read that in a moment it says if you do well and then they use brackets believing me and doing what is acceptable and pleasing to me end brackets Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, brackets, but ignore my instruction, end of brackets, sin crouches at your door. Its desire is for you, brackets, to overpower you, end brackets, but you must master it. So the Amplified follows the New American Standard in essentially that last sentence they are implying or or Um, writing it, translating it in such a way that appears that we're dealing with or talking about specifically in that sentence, sin. And so therefore, it is the subject. You know how we've talked before about context. You have to know the context and so forth. And so that scripture, one has a propensity to think that since sin is what's being discussed, 
that sin is actually what's um, the the context, if you will. So therefore, sentence number seven, or paragraph, or uh, I, I said that was a footnote seven, but was that actually verse seven? That was actually verse seven, not a footnote. Sorry. <laughs> Now, am I confusing you there? You, uh, you, uh, Jeremiah, did I have one notebook out there or just, just or did, two? There? Uh, I think there were two on the right there. I took everything you had. And yeah, well, I only, there. I, only got, I only got one here, so... Um, I guess that was probably all you had. I got two points out of it, out of this Septuagint uh, version. And one point I noticed was that uh, could could you reread that out of the Septuagint, Septuagint again for me, sure. please? I yeah, uh, I don't have it handy. And the Lord God said to Cain, "Well, let me start again at six, uh, at five, five, because this is one of my points." Upon Cain and his sacrifices, he did not look with regard. Therefore, Cain was upset. I'll paraphrase. And his countenance was became dejected. And the Lord God said to Cain, "Now, let me interject this. God already knew the answer to the question, didn't He, Doug? Yeah, it, it's exactly right. It's it's like a, a parent-child relationship. Uh huh. Uh, okay, and this this goes to the issue of what I'm going to bring up. Go ahead. Why art thou so sorrowful, and thy countenance is dejected? Thou hast offered right. You and here's my point one. Yet if thou hast not rightly divided, hast you not sinned? So he was doing the practice of the offering. He didn't do it correctly, did he? No. He was trying to cheat God, I guess. Jeremiah, grab Jasher. And uh, all right, you can read God it out there. Said, God told him, and and this Septuagint, be composed. Put and to thee shall be his recourse, and thou shalt rule over him. But I think God was saying, who are you trying to kid here? Pull yourself together, Cain. This is dangerous what you're doing here. And he's, this message is to all of us, I think. Absolutely. And the point number two is, God said learn to master sin, and I think we all have to do that. That's our challenge in life, is to master sin or it will master us. I mean, if he's at the door knocking, then this thing that you could very easily say a synonym of disobedience is trying to overwhelm you. This idea of do your own thing is trying to... It's been since the Garden of Eden here. Learn how to master over it so that you're the victor. 
So what what I what I'm in summation here is God Almighty saying it is possible for a human being to do that, isn't he, Doug? Yeah, Amen. And I'm so looking in Jasher right now, but it doesn't seem to convey that part of the. In our former ministry, we were told over and over and over to live right. You can't do it, but do it. Exactly. Well, Russell, you may recall the last newsletter article, which would have been March, I guess, uh, or something uh, March or April of of 2000, and uh, I guess was it 14 or 15? The, I remember last, all of it. Yeah. Well, right. Uh, what year was that? Fourteen or fifteen? It was fifteen. Fifteen. Okay. So in 2015, the newsletter article that I had written, where I was addressing this issue of Cain, and Richard Parrish had a complete problem with that article, uh-huh. and. And what I was doing was speaking exactly what you're saying here about God's desire and God's uh, reasoning with us to get it right and what it means to do that. And uh, I forget the title of the article, but anyhow, Richard posed a big you know, roadblock to that article. And I thought he edited out what he didn't like. Right, he edited it out on his own, and I had to I had to go back to John and say, John, Richard is editing my article, and I don't need Richard to edit the article. So, so then Jason called me because apparently there was some kind of a big brouhaha over in you know Wyoming, Colorado. So uh-huh. Jason called me, and I read this scripture to him, and I said, God spoke to Cain. And I said, he said, get yourself together. Because if you don't get yourself together, sin is going to result. Mm -hmm. And I read that scripture to Jason. I read it out of two or three translations. I read what I wrote in the article, and I said, now, are you going to argue with God the way Richard's Richard's arguing with God? Because Uh Richard flat out told me, he says, well, I just have a problem believing that that Cain, uh, you know, was you know uh, redemptive, I guess, or I forget what word he used. And I said, "This is what the scripture says." What and that's why I asked Jason. I said, "Are you going to argue with God?" And he says, "Nope." And I said, "Well, is there a problem with what I wrote and the way I wrote it?" And he said, "Absolutely not." And I said, "Well, then tell Richard to keep his fingers off the typewriter." And just put it in or off of the, uh, you know, the delete and backspace button and type what I've written. And uh, so anyhow, the article did go out the way uh, it was written. And, of course, I was gone the next month. So um, (laughs) good work. But now to my point in verse number seven, um, Jeremiah, read that uh, part out of Jasher that, um, uh, well, go ahead, read uh, read from the sacrifice all the way okay, to... well, in Jasher it doesn't talk about um, 
Cain being jealous or talking to the Lord at that point. It kind of skips that part. It goes right to the offering and then to... Yeah, that's what I said. That's what I said. Just read from the offering there to killing his brother. Okay. Um... And it was at the expiration of a few years that they brought an approximating offering to the Lord. And Cain brought from the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought from the firstlings of his flock, from the fat thereof. And God turned and inclined to Abel. There came that. Hold it, Jeremiah. Yeah. We're losing your voice. You are? Yeah, yeah. in and out. Um... Okay, right, I'll yeah. move my microphone a little closer and see if that helps. All right, and then back up a sentence or so. Hey, you know what I'd like to do is I'd like to stop you. Go back to that word. Um, go back to that word. It says an approximation. Yeah, they brought an approximating offering to the Lord. All right, stop. Uh, Septuagint says, Thou has offered right, yet if thou has not rightly divided. <clears throat> okay, let's take an example of what we may be talking about here. And I believe it's accurate. Yeah. Let's say that Abel has, uh, in the approximation of three years, uh, I believe this has to do with the law in Deuteronomy, too. Um, but he brings... Um, how many, you know, let's say that he's got 27 new new firstlings in that three-year period, and he brings all 27 of those firstlings to the Lord because that's what he's supposed to do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, and in the case of Cain, who's a tiller of the ground, <clears throat> It says in the Septuagint that he had not rightly divided. Exactly. So I believe the scripture bears witness that what happened here was, I think I even did a message one time and said that Cain's offering was basically, uh, hey guys, uh, I got to quit playing ball right now. I got to run out and go do this offering thing. And his heart was just not in it. And <laughs> and essentially, I believe I'm wrong in that. And that what we learn here is that he had failed to rightly provide the correct offering which was required of him. He did not take the diligence to bring forth the total offering. And that's yeah. why the Septuagint says it wasn't rightly divided. And mm-hmm. so the point is, and this you can go right to a parent-child relationship. You tell your child to bring you X, and the child doesn't bring you X because he thinks four is enough, and I don't need to find all seven of these or all ten uh-huh. of these. Mm-hmm. And so he brings the four and not the ten because he didn't understand or hadn't considered or hadn't fully contemplated the instruction as pertaining to the necessity of all ten. And so God looks at him 
when the child is now dejected because why? And this brings me to verse 7, because why? I'm going to read to you out of the Geneva. If thou do well, shalt thou not be accepted. And there's a footnote A here. And if thou does not well, sin lies at the door. Footnote B. Also unto thee his desire shall be subject, and thou shalt rule over him. Now again, I have always read this scripture from the King James predominantly, because that's what I use. I will read you from the King James, just for context again. I'm not there. I'm not there in my King James because I had my Septuagint open. So one moment, Septuagint uh, Genesis four, and I am at verse six. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. If thou doest not well, sin lies at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule. Okay, that sentence in seven. Hold on just a second, Doug. Let me say something. All right. And I believe it's an important preface of what you're about to say. If thou do well, thou thou will be accepted. Isn't that what he just said? Absolutely. Now, the rest of that is, and if thou don't do well, well, thou will not be accepted, right? Well, and what makes you not acceptable? Disobedience. And absolutely. It's your heart. Yeah, your heart. Your your desire. We have to assume that maybe maybe it wasn't ignorance, but he was bowed up and defiled and thought he'd pull one over on God. Well, his heart wasn't rightly divided. It was It was divided. <laughs> well, uh, see, <clears throat> my point is, though, I used to kind of think that. That was, like I said, Jules, I kind of said that in one of a message that I did once that I just kind of, you know, conceived in my own mind that, Obviously, his heart was not in it. But I think it's more than that. I think it has to do... I do think it has to do... The Amplified sort of has part of it right because it says, in brackets, of course, uh, believing, if you do well, believing me and doing what is acceptable and pleasing to me. And that's exactly what we've always talked about is that God wants us to be obedient. What does he want? Sacrifice, offerings, or obedience? We have the answer to that, don't we? Yeah. It's obedience. And so, so yeah, heart, I mean, I understand what Jules is saying because that's what I used to always say too is heart, but maybe I wasn't expressing it correctly. And so... Let me finish now with seven. And unto thee, okay, if thou does not well, sin lies at the door, and unto thee shall be its desire, or his desire. And again, that part of this verse got me sitting there pondering this weekend that his, his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. 
And so I began to question what the meaning of the word his was there. Was it an improper translation and the word should have been it, and under these shall be its desire, meaning sin, because if we're using the context of the scripture to be sin, we would use the word its, just like these other translations did, or other words to help define that sin is the subject matter. Am I making sense? Subject yeah. That, that, okay, that, now. In the Septuagint, it, it jumps out there that it says, uh, it says, uh, his as well. These, these shall be his recourse. Okay. And thou, and thou shalt rule over him. Now, yeah. As I say, the words his and him really got me puzzled this weekend. And so I'm studying, and I go to Genesis 4, uh, 6, 7 in, in the Geneva. Now, I read it to you again. Let me read it again. If thou do well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lies at the door. Uh, footnote B. Also unto thee his desire shall be subject and thou shalt rule over him. Okay, stop. Genesis 4-7, there was the footnote A, both thou and thy sacrifice shall be acceptable to me. Uh, footnote B, sin shall still torment your conscience. That was where it says sin lies at the door, meaning, in, you know, by the translators. And I know... I, I don't like Geneva that much because the translators and the footnoters put way more stuff in commentating and footnoting than really is good for people. But And then in C it says, the dignity of the firstborn is given to Cain over Abel. And I said, hold it. What we have in the scripture is a primary and a secondary teaching. And a primary and a secondary um, subject, if you will. You start out actually thinking that the primary subject here is about sin. But I don't believe that's correct. I believe the primary subject is about something bigger than that. Russell, yes. Jules, in a family relationship, yes, you have a hierarchy, don't you? Supposed to. Exactly. And that eldest holds a certain position. <clears throat> and in the case here, Cain was the eldest. And God... God sees what's happening here. This is the first sign of intimate jealousy expressed by Cain toward Abel because God has looked favorably on the secondborn versus the firstborn. Yeah. And so it puts into question everything that a firstborn perceives in their mind 
about their status, their position, and in the eyes of their their parent. So why would it be any different in the case with this? Now, this was not the only place that I found it was in the Geneva. I actually did some more studying and research and tried to come up with a uh, some commentary on it. And I did come up with a couple of commentaries on it that actually spoke to the issue directly on. And I'm going to read you one of those. Uh, give me just a minute here. Well, while you got your minute, I want to bring out uh, Jonah. And, you know, Jonah went to was sent to Nineveh and, you know, the whale thing and all that. And in the, uh, chapter 3 of Jonah, Nineveh repents. And uh, in 3, verse 10, God saw their deeds that they turned from their wicked way. Then God relented concerning calamity, which he had declared, and he would that he would bring upon them. And he did not do it to Nineveh. Yep. Chapter 4, but it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. I'll jump ahead to uh, 4 4, and it says, And the Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? And then uh, again in verse 9, he said, Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And so. Uh, you know, there's relations uh, about uh, this, because Jonah was also jealous. Yeah, yeah, and I think Jonah knew. Uh, I think the reason Jonah ditched or tried to ditch out in the first place was because it requires... It requires he didn't want to repent. It, well, and it requires two witnesses. And when Jonah was sent out alone, see, in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, how many witnesses were there? Two. That's exactly right. And in Jonah's case, Jonah was the only one sent. And I think Jonah knew that they were going to repent because that's why God didn't send two witnesses against him. If he'd have sent the two witnesses, it's a fait accompli. Amen. Yeah. Oh, I don't doubt that. You know, you don't want two witnesses coming to you, do you? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so anyhow, yeah, I, I agree, Jules. Uh, that's the classic example of of there was repentance from despicableness, and you know, it goes back to the scripture that tells us he wishes and desires for none of his to perish. And was there somebody in Nineveh that was his? Absolutely. Well, you know, he taught him a lesson with the plant. I think yeah. he knows the story. And the Lord said, well, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came yeah. up overnight and perished overnight. And should I not have compassion on Nineveh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know what he told Job? Where were you when I was creating the universe? Yeah. <laughs> well, here's what Matthew's commentary said on it. Um, 
let's see, where should I start? Uh, Is that Matthew Dr. Henry? What's that? Was that Matthew Henry? Yeah, Matthew Henry commentary. Um, God's ordinances are in danger of committing all abominations. Um, the punishment of sin, so near akin are sin and punishment that the same word Hebrew signifies both. <coughs> well, I'll just read it. God's ordinances are in danger of committing all abominations, Leviticus 18.30, or, secondly, the punishment of sin. I guess it should have went up because that was a little bit, I didn't realize that. I must have knocked it down. Um, yeah, let me just, uh, he sets before him death and a curse. But if not well, that is, seeing thou did not do well, did not offer in faith and in a right manner, sin lies at the door. That is, sin was imputed to him, and thou was frowned upon and rejected as a sinner. So high a charge had not been laid at his door. If thou had not brought it upon thyself by not doing well, or as if, or as it is commonly taken, quote, if thou will not do well, if thou persist in this wrath, Instead of humbling thyself before God, harden thyself against him. Sin lies at the door. Uh, that is, one, further sin. Now that anger is in thy heart, murder is at the door. The way of sin is downhill, and men go from bad to worse. Those who do not sacrifice well, but are careless and remiss in their devotions to God, expose themselves to the worst temptations and perhaps the most scandalous sin lies at the door. Those who do not keep God's ordinance are in danger of committing all abominations, Leviticus 18.30, or the punishment of sin, so near akin, are sin and punishment, that the same word in Hebrew signifies both. If sin be harbored in the house, the curse waits at the door, like a bailiff, ready to arrest the sinner whenever he looks out. It lies in this it slept, but it lies at the door where it will soon be awaked, and then it will appear that the damnation slumbered not. Sin will find thee out, Numbers uh, 32.23. Yet some choose to understand this also as an intimation of mercy. If thou does not well, sin, that is, an offering, lies at the door, and thou may take the benefit of it, the same word signifies sin and a sacrifice for sin. Though that has not, though thou hast not done well, yet do not despair. The remedy is at hand. The propitiation is not far to seek. Lay hold on it, and the iniquity of the holy things shall be given thee, and the iniquity of thy holy things shall be forgiven thee. Christ, the great sin offering, is said to stand at the door, Revelation 3.20. And those well deserve to perish in their sins that will not go to the door for an interest in the sin offering. All this considered, Cain had no reason to be angry at God, but at himself only. All right, this is the one I wanted to get to. I probably should have just started here. That he had no reason to be angry at his brother. Unto thee shall be his desire. He shall continue his respect to thee, meaning Abel shall continue his respect to thee, as an elder brother, and thou, as the firstborn, shall rule over him as much as ever. God's acceptance of Abel's offering did not transfer the birthright to him, 
which Cain was, was jealous of, nor put upon him that excellency of dignity and power which is said to belong to it. So God did not intend, Abel did not interpret it, and there was no danger of it being improved to Cain's prejudice. Why then should he be so much exasperated? So again, it just, it struck me as how many times we can read a passage or how many times, you know, we can come across it and we can think one thing. And in this case, the primary subject here was what God saw. Russell, as you said earlier, he already knew what Cain's problem was. Cain's problem was not that he screwed up and rightly dividing. Cain's problem was not that he um, uh, was angry even at God. Cain's problem was bigger than that. What God saw was that Cain was in danger of losing something far greater to him in importance than, (laughs) than, than he could, you know, than he was, well, he was, probably uh, acknowledging it, and that's why his countenance fell so hard. Does any of this make sense? When that comment was made, sin is at the door. Yep. To me, it's like it's always an available option. Yep. And then he said, learn how to master it. Yep. So if you're the master... You tell sin what to do, don't you? Amen. And that is power, isn't it? It is power. It's just like we started out with the scripture that uh, uh, True gave us. That was power by those men. And would to God that Christians would stand in that power again today. Do you think we would have our country back? Yep. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about that. Uh, Let's say I'm elected president. And you know all this inaugural bull? The the parties and all? Yeah. A, A true man of integrity... Would say, what in the world is there to be partying about? We've got to get this thing fixed. We're going to have parties all night. We're going to bed and we're going to get up in the morning and start fixing it. And if we do get it fixed by God's grace and by his will, then we might think about a party. But what in the world is there to party about now? This place is a mess. Yeah, I was I was thinking here's a guy that that's supposed to separate his himself from all that was going on during the campaign. Remember, the worst he said Obama's the worst there ever was. If Hillary's still around when I'm president, she'll be in jail. All this rhetoric. I personally don't think that Trump is the same person that he was one way or another. Yeah, I believe you're right there. Easily manipulated. Either that or he's not even the same physical person. 
But either way, it doesn't matter. No. Well, let me let me interject this. Power, power corrupts. And to Jules' issue or to Jules' thought is when I have said for the longest time, you know, people have talked about the quote Washington fever or whatever. People get to Washington, and then everything just seems to change. And I'll tell you why I believe. I believe because what they do is those people that are there know the problems. And they know how they've been created, both Democrat and Republican. So Democrats have created their problems. Republicans have created their problems. And so, Uh for example, you get a guy in there that wants to bring change, and they sit him down and say, look, you don't understand. We can't get back to the constitutional money situation because this country has already been bankrupted. Uh And they become more learned. They become more learned in the statutes of Omri, if you will, um, the statutes of Washington, D.C., and they begin, and I think you can see this when you watch these presidents. It's like they go in there, and then all of a sudden they become like, wow, shocked and almost in fear, and they begin to toe the line in ways that you're just scratching your head and dumbfounded by because you you were thinking and believing that they were going to be totally different. Well, remember how Mal did it, Doug. Yeah. He said the, the big word, F-E-A-R. You line up 10 or 20 guys and you blow their head off. Uh, they get the message. You don't even have to do 10 or 20. One will get the message across. Okay. One, uh, one JFK's head flying through the air got a message across, didn't it? Yeah. And, and in a similar fashion, the financial collapse of 2008 for the purposes that it was for, as well as because of uh, the whole uh, monetary uh, house of cards, um, I really do believe that when George Bush received that information about how bad that thing was going to be, I think you could see fear on his face when he went out and addressed the people. They put the fear in him that if we don't do this bailout thing and do it now, we don't know where this thing will end, and you've got to go out and do your pound of flesh, uh, you know, uh, work here or whatever to convince the American people how needful this thing's going to be and how the, uh, you know. And as I say, if you could go back and look at those speeches and look at the look on his face, I I think George W. Bush was in abject fear that day that he gave that speech. Well, I don't and think anyone wants to see their heads splattered. Well, yeah, and, and he's got no knowledge of, you know, finance in the ways that the high finance is, is rolling. And But when he's when he's given this thing about how serious this financial collapse was, um, you know, and you can, the story you can told bet, 
you can catch your boots and your spurs too. Baron Rothschild knows how it works. I just look at, at, at that whole thing and say, man, um, you know, you go up to the president and you say, Mr. President, there are going to be tens of millions of people that will be out of their homes. Uh-huh. What, kind of, what kind of a president wants tens of millions of people to be out of their homes, thrown out of their homes because of these financial notes and everything that were all bogus <laughs> and, you know, and has as his legacy that, you know, 20 million people were dejected from their homes under the worst financial collapse in modern we, history. We, in fact, have a history of that with Herbert Hoover. Yeah, I mean, it's all, it repeats itself over and over, doesn't it? And Jackson, uh, he chased those bankers out, those den, den of vipers, didn't he? Yeah, I thought that that uh, Donald Trump was going to be the the Jackson of our day. Well, didn't he say, didn't he is, say something? This is how this works, Donald. You have a wonderful family. Do you like your kids? Do you like your status? Sure wouldn't want anything to happen to those beautiful little kids or grandkids. It gets a guy's attention. You would have to have testicles made out of carbide steel to fix this thing. Like David had. (laughs) And then think of this. David did some acts that were unbelievable then and through all that restored his relationship with God. Which gets back to the point you said earlier. Uh, Jewel said and you said he's trying to teach you a lesson. It wasn't that he didn't didn't bring the right, didn't divide his his offering correctly. He he disobeyed, or his heart wasn't there, or whatever. Trying to get the attention before it's too late. Proverbs says, uh, chapter four, starting in fourteen, it says, "Do not enter the path of the wicked." And do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it and do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they do evil. And they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of righteousness is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Yeah, amazing. The way of the wicked is darkness. 
they know not at what they stumble. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my saying. Amen. Amen. And yet at the same time, it rains on the just as well as the unjust. You know, the old saying, oh, oh, I'm sorry I did this or did that, and you know, and oh, well, that's okay. Don't lose any sleep over it. Uh-huh. Well, here we're just reading that there's still evil who can't sleep unless they do evil. So there are the other side. There is the unredeemable creatures made for destruction. And and they're in the high places because over the years we've let them be there. Yeah, you're right. That's exactly right. We've... We've we've compromised. Yep. And we have believed the lies. Well, we want to. They make us want to, and, you know, yeah. Well, you know, they started out with uh, getting us to believe a lie that, that we, the people who God commissioned, to be the light to the world, not out of selfishness or anything else. He commissioned it because it was necessary. It was yeah. necessary in order to bring righteousness to the creation. And that goes back to what you were saying about Richard Parrish and whether uh, whether Cain was redeemable or not, it, it doesn't matter. It's written down in the word for our learning. Yeah. Are you and, Doug, referring to we the people? Absolutely. Yeah. See, <laughs> see, we we should take this constitution one night, you guys, or several nights, because frankly, it would take us several nights. But yeah. we should take the constitution and open it up, and just start with the first words and ask if this is godly or biblical. Uh-huh. You start with, we the people, and, you know, let's go ahead and, you know, get to the rest and see if it does, in fact, pull God into it anywhere, because you could say, we the people of the children of God, uh, who ordained and established this, you know, constitution, you know, blah, 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 but the point is, I think that if we are honest, intellectually honest, and uh-huh. biblically honest, we will find that every single phrase, every uh-huh. single article, and uh-huh. nearly without exception, we will find that the entire document is 100% unbiblical and not uh-huh. Biblical as we have been taught to believe. You know, I yeah. goes to that whole thing there that we, you guys just said. Conditioning. We are easily conditioned as a people. Yep. Do you know that it will take, right now we are seeing the scribes in controlling position over this country. Everything that they write, everything that they put out over their Talmud vision, um, all of that is designed 
to be yeah, to constantly condition us. And in times where they don't have the upper hand, there's a little less conditioning. But at all times, they condition. And I like I like the word deceive better than condition. You like which word better? Deceive. Yeah. Well, the reason I'm using the word conditioning is because that's what happens. Yeah. We get conditioned. We get conditioned into believing that something is or is not because of that constant, you know, barrage of information. Uh-huh. Well, Jesus said that they are their father, the devil, and he's. Uh, He's a liar, you know, he's the father of lies, and they're liars. So I don't even pay too much attention to what the scribes put out there. Well, I realize that, but what I'm saying is they're constantly conditioning that our people, these are God's people, that we, you know, we would that they would also turn, and we would that they would also have eyes to see. It's the same reason that we don't believe in public school either. Well, the same reason I don't believe in public anything. Except public worship of the God of truth. Well, yeah. Uh, And the way you do that is... By doing his law. Yeah. Oh, Jules, you're just a lawer. Uh, <laughs> that's what we used to hear, Jules, believe it or not, behind the scenes at Scriptures for America. That's that's what you heard is we were law people. And listen to this. You could I've, just I've only be- been into it since 1982, so I guess I know that. <laughs> you, you could just as easily replace the word instruction for law, and then that sounds pretty logical, doesn't it? Yeah. You want to follow his instructions. Yeah. Because he's the designer of the machine, the creator. But you know we can't. We you know we can't keep the instruction. You know, you're a father. You know your children can't keep your instruction, Russell. <laughs> There's going to be some problems. Well, it's got to have repentance. Yeah. Well, first yeah. thing you got to do is be taught the instructions. Yeah. You can't be taught that that it doesn't apply and that it's and and that you can't do it, which we used to hear at nauseum. Well. Of course, of course, they're there, but you can't keep them. You know. Well, our enemy has mastered the art of adding to or taking from. Amen. And uh, so they create these phony sins, and uh, they bring you down. They slander you. They uh, take, for instance, uh, we tried to get a church for the upcoming wedding 
And the minister said, well, we don't allow dancing here. And Texas said, well, uh, the bride just wanted the final waltz with the father. And to which he replied, well, not at this church. Dancing is sin. And uh, I thought to myself, it can certainly lead to sin, but in and of itself, I don't think a, a, a waltz or a, what is that stuff they did at camp? The, the uh, yeah, I don't even know where they real. At, you know, <laughs> it's like, huh? Yeah, I don't even know where, uh, who, isn't that the, uh, 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 oh. the, the Virginia reel to me looks like a good form of aerobics and exercise. Well, they and, the people sang and danced and to the Lord uh-huh. and in the Bible and countless places. Well, they're not, I suppose. And, and so, my point is, you can you can make up stuff, and the people who are ignorant. Well, the minister said it, so it must be true. Yeah, uh, well, that's our 501c3 preachers. It's just a job to them. I think it's even worse than that. I think yeah, they're maybe com- they're the uh, Proverbs 416s. I think I you're think probably right, since I got a family full of preachers, and I know them. Yeah. Well, uh, Russell's going to be ready to sign off here in a few minutes. I've enjoyed it. But uh, it's time for me to call it a day. Well, me uh, and right. Seven. <laughs> well, uh, Jules on the line. We can let Jules give us a closing prayer. Anybody has anything to add? We can go from there. How's that sound? Yeah, y'all can continue. True said she wanted to talk to some to Doug or something a little longer. So, well, I'm, well, I'm, I'm not ready. Sure I want my voice to go yet either. But uh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, that's Doug's call. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this chance to fellowship together with the brethren. Uh-huh. I ask the Holy Spirit, even retroactively, to be upon us and help us to contemplate these things in your word that we've spoken of and grant us a heart to follow them understand them. Guide us and lead us with your Holy Spirit and help us to confess our sins and realize what they are. Forgive me and forgive others for being deceived. I've been deceived in so many things in so many ways. The world is full of deceptions and Amen. I just, we follow our heart, and but our heart isn't right with God, and even if we think it is. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would grant us repentance from being deceived and gently reveal to us our deceptions that we can escape these snares of the devil and come to our senses. Amen. As our pastor taught us to pray that way, and 
And I ask, Father, that your guiding and leading would be continually upon us and your blessings and our families and our stewardships, too. Continually, and you would bless us and keep us and help us to pass the tests that you've given us righteously. You know, we know, it says in your word that you won't give us any more than we can stand. And so, Lord... Thank you for these things. Give us a humble heart and a clean heart and be meek. Yes. Word really means, as it was written in the Old English, which means there's a whole lot of words there. You know them, Father, and they're your word. That's what we need on our heart, mind, body, and soul to do your will. May the Lord Jesus bless us and keep us and make his face to shine upon us and to be gracious to us. Lift his countenance upon us and grant us peace through his name. Come quickly, Father, and help us to be prepared. In Jesus' name. Amen. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the promise you give us that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, you're there already in our midst. We thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Guide, direct, dwell within us to come humbly before you giving thanks and praising your name praising your holy name thank you for that thank you thank you for giving of yourself Lord for us to redeem us to bring us back unto you to show us once and for all You are indeed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all creation. Thank you, Father, for our forefathers who brought it to our minds and showed us that continuing light of your promise, your words, salvation. Thank you, Father. Amen. 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 Lord, and thank you for taking care of the Nelson family. Thank you, Lord. Bringing them along and and healing them and nourishing their bodies and fixing the problem. Thank you, Lord. Pray that all of our health be restored to the point where we're we're effective and, and praise you for it, Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, I want to add a, uh, one more thing, Lord, about healing. Father, I just thank you for this woman that I've come to meet in Florida. Her name is Ann. Father, I just wanted to lift her up in prayer. Amen. Because, Lord, I know that she's become afflicted with this virus that I was afflicted with, Lord. She seems to be doing real well and and seems to be handling it the way Judy's bodies and Jeremiah's bodies were able to. Whatever happened to me, Lord, I'm not exactly sure. but, But I do thank you for your healing hand upon her. And I don't want to be remiss in forgetting her from time to time as we uh, think upon you 
And I just, uh, this Lord wants you to keep your hand upon her. She doesn't know the things that we've come to learn and know. And that's now our job and our responsibility to help. Lord, I watched her stand in that library down at Betty's, Lord, and I watched her look at those books, and I watched her pull books off of those shelves and put them in a pile so she could take them home. And I just say, praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of those books, Lord, are books that will tremendously bless her. And I just thank you, Lord, for the mighty work that you've done through Betty's death for Anne already. And I am just thankful for that. And I wanted to just give praise and glory to you for it. But thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen, Jesus. Well, brethren, I'm signing off. Good night. Good to me. I think I'll. I've had my first few full days of work in five and a half weeks, and um, I feel like Russell King at about nine o'clock these days. <laughs> so. <laughs> So oh, I will. What's I'm that? ready to grab root and growl. So y'all have a great evening, and I'll catch you later. And thanks very kindly for being there. And uh, so thank, thank you for joining us, Jules. Good night, yeah. everyone. Good night, men and ladies. Good night. <laughs> Good night, True. Oh wait. Oh. Okay, I'm waiting. Yeah, I knew you were gonna forget. Well, it wasn't you that I was going to talk to. It was your son that I was going to talk to for a little bit. Oh, okay. All right. Well, uh, let me, uh, let's see. Let me terminate his end of call, end the recording. Let me end the recording. not letting me hit the end recording. I had to use the regular uh, the regular talk shoe thing because the pro wasn't working and I know I started recording but it isn't ending so I think what's going to happen is I'm going to wind up terminating the call. So uh, Jeremiah you can uh, just have True. True why don't you just give Jeremiah a call back then. Because I think uh, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna yeah. have to end it. I, I think I'm gonna have to end it because it won't. I was just gonna terminate the recording, but it won't shut off. A call so, back on this or the phone? Okay. Yeah, no, she can just call back on the phone. You can talk for a little bit. Okay. Okay. Um, so true. Just go ahead and give us a call back then. All right, I'll do that right now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'll give Jeremiah my phone.
Okay. All right. It's not terminating the call either. It's like my window is dead. Better have recorded that thing. That's going to irritate me. All right. I'm shutting that down. Here, Jeremiah, you can get off for just a second. All right. I hope you feel better soon, Doug. I'll keep you in my prayers. I know I've said that before, but I I will. I know you're feeling bad.